you know, on this theme of the whole global economy moving to a more sustainable footing or everyone sort of moving into this new world where you can't operate in a sort of unsustainable way uh, and everything you do has to be, you know, checked and uh, agreed by the scientific community, whether you're going to sort of meet your pledges for 2030 and 2050, whether that's your, whether you're a country, whether you're a big producer like Nike or whether you're a small, uh, much smaller company, everywhere in the world, you know, companies are making this transition. And, and we've, we've brought together, I think, some of the biggest names in sustainable investing to help sort of cut through the complexity and talk about how investors can approach exactly what you described, which is, you know, how to pick the good from the bad, how to pick the future winners from the losers, how to avoid getting stuck with, you know, the companies operating under the old system that aren't going to make it through until the next, you know, decade or two and how to find, you know, I guess both the, the smaller disruptive companies that are changing the game and the, the bigger established ones who are transitioning the most effectively. And I think helping investors to do that now in the post-pandemic world when, you know, the sustainability, the energy transition themes have become so much more powerful. I mean, the the social, political and financial will behind these things is now incredible. We're having record investment into every sector of the, the energy transition. I think that the grand title... Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. Want to be a better, smarter, more clued up investor? Well, you've come to the right place. We cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the megatrends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning and welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. I am Sam Volkering, your editor, and I am here with my co-editor, Kit Winder. Thanks again for joining us this week, Kit. Now, I want to kick off today's podcast, get something off my chest. Last night, I was sitting at home. Uh, kids had gone to bed, just watching a bit of telly. I was actually watching the new Reacher show on Amazon, which is very good if anyone is 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 interested. Um, that's not the point. Uh, the point is, is that I got an email from my energy provider with my latest bill, and it was a doozy. It was it was strangely a doozy. It was obscenely a doozy. It was more of a doozy than I had anticipated. And I and I was trying to figure out why it was so obscenely high. And so I drilled into the detail. And I I brought up a bill that I had from November last year. And uh they switched me that was I I had a tariff that ended uh around that time. They switched me onto their best most affordable, cheapest tariff that they had in the market after that one expired. And so this was my new tariff. And my 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 gas and electricity consumption has not really changed since this time last year. But my bill was about the same for electricity, to be fair. But my gas bill kit was about three times more than it was this time last year. And so when I drilled into the detail, I found that my old tariff had a kilowatt hour rate of 2.51p per kilowatt hour. And my new one, which is still a very good rate compared to the market, but my new one was 6.9p per kilowatt hour. In such a short period of time, my, my energy bill has like, my gas bill has tripled, almost tripled. And it is gobsmacked me, my joy at the floor. And then I started looking at switching providers and then I realized I was actually on probably one of the better rates in the market still, but it's still three times higher. And I thought to myself, how on earth can this be sustainable? And then with Russia and everything kicking off and Germany and the issues with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, I 
I, I need your expertise again, Kit, to reassure me that my energy, my gas bill is not going to continue to, to put me out of bread on the table in the future. Help me. What, what, what is going on? Um, yeah, it's a pretty tough time. I think the grand scheme of the, the debate is that um, we are kind of kind of transitioning towards a cleaner energy future kind of um in the uk more specifically since 2000 we've had something called the dash for gas uh where we transitioned away from having 40 percent of our electricity being generated by coal now that's only two or three and gas has taken up a lot of the burden and renewables have exploded as well so they've gone from they've done the reverse sort of from two or three to about 30 to 40 now percent of our electricity um however one of the things we also did was sort of lower our storage capacities for gas and lower our resilience when it comes to, you know, fossil fuel price shocks, which is what we're seeing. And so um, there's just sort of been a slightly muddled path along the transition. And that's kind of understandable. I think 10 years ago, if they'd been able to forecast the incredible declines in the cost of renewables, even if they could have, it would have been silly to build 100% renewables in 2010 because it was still more expensive then. Whereas now it makes more sense to build renewables. But I think the moral of the story is that some people are saying we need to stop this net zero nonsense. And there's a few people in government who are trying to say this now and we need to stop this net zero nonsense. And I think that's completely wrong because the the bottom line is that over the next 10 to 30 years, we need to transition to 70, 80, 90, 100% renewables on the grid because they will be the cheapest. We're the windiest country in Europe here in the UK. Thank you, Scotland. And uh, solar is already the cheapest electricity in history. It's being generated in Morocco, which is just about to build an electricity pipeline all the way to the UK. They have 300 days of sun a year and they can generate solar at unbelievably cheap prices and pipe it to us. So over the next 10 to 30 years, that has to be the grand landscape that we see. And that's what's going to keep your energy bills low over the long term. Um, but the people who say that that is the, the best response to the current fossil fuel gas crisis might also be pushing it a little bit. I think we do need to just continue accelerating to build out renewables with the long term in mind. But in the short term, probably the only way to solve a gas crisis is with more gas. And there's probably only a couple of places that can do it. And that's given the current geopolitical concerns that you alluded to, uh, America and the Middle East. I mean, Russia could do it too, but I don't think they're going to. Well, I mean, in interestingly, uh, like, so the other day, I, I mean, as you well know, and everybody well knows that's, that's watching and listening to this, is we had some of the windiest days on record in uh, in this country. And uh, and I, I, I saw another headline that said that the wind turbines had been going crazy and therefore the, the the cost of energy had crashed because of the wind i mean is is this is this kind of like is that a, is this a precursor when we see you know headlines like that is like are we going to get more of the more wind turbines are they going to take advantage of this can we store that energy is are there the, the is the infrastructure there or is it coming to to act to store that you know on a on a windy day or windy few weeks that we've had it to me it's kind of like it's kind of like capitalizing on the summer sun for solar right um 
it's it's taking advantage of a of a unique period in time where we you know maybe there is this excess generation is the the is the infrastructure in place that we can capture that appropriately or is that coming down the track i mean the infrastructure is probably not in place but it's close i would say there are two main factors you can store electricity in two main ways at least for now and one of them is with lithium ion batteries they're you know we have tiny ones in our phones and medium sized ones in our cars and we need some very big ones maybe associated with the national grid and they can probably store energy for about maybe four hours is the number that's often talked about so if it's windy all day when no one's using electricity you can store it for four hours and then use it between 6 and 10 p.m uh when everyone's gone home they're cooking they're putting their lights on they're putting their heating on as it gets colder in the day that's sort of short-term storage and the really good news there is that as with solar and wind the costs have come down enormously so i think it cost about uh eleven hundred dollars per megawatt hour to store uh one megawatt hour of electricity that was in 2010 uh, and then bloomberg new energy for finance have been tracking that number down and down and, and their latest figure was 132 so that's a uh a, almost a 90 percent decline in 10 years so that's incredible and it's just suddenly becoming economically viable to attach these storage projects to new renewable solar pa solar panel farms wind power farms uh, and so that uh, renewables plus storage is now becoming economically competitive with gas-fired plants for example so that's great the other storage mechanism is hydrogen and so this is where we get something called power to x which is a cool concept where as you say you build all the wind that we can have the capacity for in this country and on the days when it is incredibly blustery, when there's, you know, all these storms called, caused by climate change coming in in ever greater numbers and with ever greater uh, aggression, the wind, the excess wind that can be generated can be converted. If we don't need all of it on the day, it can be converted into hydrogen and that's power to X. And so power, power being turned into something else. Uh, and then that hydrogen can be stored basically indefinitely you can put it in salt caverns you can put it in caves you can put it in i mean it's much more expensive uh to store hydrogen than other things because it's so gaseous uh and it you need to uh a lot of energy and strength goes into keeping it compacted uh, and stored above ground but that is also possible and the cost of that decreasing as well so uh the lithium-ion side the short-term storage is really i mean it's right there this is now the time of takeoff and that's something we've been talking about for a long time lithium has been a huge theme and then hydrogen is coming down the pipeline in this decade i would say as a sort of larger longer term storage solution and yes those are the two main ways in which suddenly you know clean free at the at the margin so there's no fuel costs for solar and wind those things suddenly become a very viable way to operate a grid all right. Well, so what I'm getting out of this is that in the future, hopefully within the decade, my energy bill won't be three times as high as it was six months ago. But in the mean, in the meantime, I need to figure out a way to earn more or make more. And so it sounds to me like if this, like, so this money is coming, the money is flooding into the sector, the development, the innovation, the technology, the storage solutions, the infrastructure, it's not necessarily there yet, but it's certainly coming down the pathway so i guess it's a matter of you know can we is there is there is there ways that the investors can get ahead of this you know we talk a lot about the energy transition and we talk a lot about you know in five ten years time and 
you know, there'll be a crossover point and when will that come and, and you know, where we can, you know, hopefully those energy prices and energy costs come down. Unfortunately, right now, that means diddly squat to the person that's trying to keep their house warm uh, at three times the cost that it was this time last year. So what, what else is there? Is it, you know, what are the, what are the big investment themes that, that you're, that you're looking at to get ahead of this? Yeah, well, I think uh, it's now a sort of a global entire economy problem, right? So we talk about getting to net zero by 2050 and we talk about what we have to do to decarbonize. And I think one of the interesting things is today we're talking about battery storage and that's a sort of an energy industry problem. How do you store the energy that your renewable sources create from solar and wind? But even if we manage to get the power system, the electricity generating systems of the UK and the world to net zero by 2030, that's still only going to sort of tackle maybe a quarter or a third of all emissions. And then suddenly you have to look at things like the food sector, which is responsible for a quarter of all the emissions globally, raising livestock, cutting down trees to grow crops, you know, transporting it, packaging it, processing it, all of these things. Or you can look at, you know, resources. And that's something that we've spoken about before on this this podcast, Sam, is firstly, how do we get all of the resources that we currently use, you know, to the market without emitting a load of carbon like steel, cement, aluminium? Uh, how do we get copper out of the ground? How do we get iron? Uh, and then in the future, lithium, cobalt, nickel, uh, those kind of things. Um, so the, the resource sector is also responsible for something like a, a quarter or a third of global emissions. And then transportation, obviously, the cars that we drive, not only going electric, they're going autonomous. And then, you know, how does that factor into vehicle ownership? How many cars there are going to be on the road? And so you suddenly realize that this decarbonization story is not just, you know, solar and wind. It's actually everything we eat, the way that we travel, the clothes that we wear, uh, where we go on holiday, whatever it is. But uh, it's this sort of incredible global economic system that's now changing in every company that we look at. So if investors want to invest, as you say, they can look at any sector. If you're a if you're a value investor looking at oil, gas, and banks, you can start looking at which the most sustainable business models are operating in those sectors. Or if you're you know a small technology growth investor, that's obviously pretty straightforward because the amount of disruption going on. I mean, I'm writing about uh, food a lot this week, and the amount of disruption that's going on with precision agriculture and vertical farming and uh, Cultivated meat, I think, is going along some pretty uh, incredible uh, paths. So, to it's interesting. You, you, you. When you you were talking then about all the different types of of industry that's impacting. When you mentioned everything, even the the clothes that we wear, and that, that actually made me laugh because I, uh, for people that are watching uh, us uh, on on video here at the moment, you'll notice that behind me I've got a few pairs of Jordans in my shelving in the background. So I'm, you know, I'm not not impartial to getting uh, you know my my fixer sneakers um one of the pairs back there is made from sustainable materials um which you know 5 10 years ago nike wasn't putting out sustainable material jordans there there's leather in those suckers not not um you know whatever it is that the material is but it's it's sustainable it's synthetic um i don't particularly find it very comfortable i might add but nonetheless uh, this is what you know these big corporations are doing is that is that everything is looking to move towards these more sustainable ways of manufacturing production um, just operations the the whole box and dice and I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about how much of an impact this has on 
all companies. Like when you think about sustainability and you think about, you know, the impact of climate change or climate technologies, whether you're for or, or against it. And like you say, there, there are plenty of people out there that are like net zero is a whole crock of crap. It's, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of taxpayer dollars. It's never going to be achievable. That's fine. Whatever you want to believe. But you can't deny the fact that money is pumping into this sector, into these opportunities. Giant corporations like Nike uh, are already making these transitions and changes to, to these new ways of, of functioning as, as businesses. So it's this unstoppable train that it doesn't. It almost doesn't really matter what side of the divide people might sit on about whether we'll get more storms because of climate change or less or whether it's heating or cooling, whatever, doesn't matter. From an investment perspective, there's so much happening in this space that I think really it's, it can be quite confusing, to be honest, is, is for a lot of people is that they, they see the market, they see all these things happening and they're like, well, where do I start? How do I understand what is good, what is bad, who's doing the right things, who's pretending to do the right things, but are really doing the wrong things, which is why I know you and, and James uh, have been, James Allen have been very big on trying to help guide people through this sector in the best way possible. And I know you guys are, you guys have been toiling in the background on something pretty big. I know we, we can't give away too much at this point, but we should tell people to keep an eye out in the coming week, I believe, for something pretty big that you've been putting together. Can you tell, much, tell us much about, about your, your project you guys have been working on? Yeah, well, well, just to start, I mean, people might be aware of, of various sort of uh, interviews that we've done externally or little conferences that we've put together. And, um, you know, on this theme of the whole global economy moving to a more sustainable footing or everyone sort of moving into this new world where you can't operate in a sort of unsustainable way uh, and everything you do has to be, you know, checked and uh, agreed by the scientific community whether you're going to sort of meet your pledges for 2030 and 2050 whether that's your whether you're a country whether you're a big producer like nike or whether you're a small uh much smaller company everywhere in the world you know companies are making this transition and and we've we've brought together i think some of the biggest names in sustainable investing to help sort of cut through the complexity and talk about how investors can approach exactly what you described which is you know, how to pick the good from the bad, how to pick the future winners from the losers, how to avoid getting stuck with, you know, the companies operating under the old system that aren't going to make it through until the next, you know, decade or two and how to find, you know, I guess both the, the smaller disruptive companies that are changing the game and the, the bigger established ones who are transitioning the most effectively. And I think helping investors to do that now in the post-pandemic world when, you know, the sustainability, the energy transition themes have become so much more powerful. I mean, the the social, political and financial will behind these things is now incredible. We're having record investment into every sector of the, the energy transition. I think that the grand total uh, last year was $755 billion invested into the energy transition. Uh, I think something like 13 cents of every dollar of uh, venture capital was invested into climate tech last year. I mean, the amount of money going in, as you say, is extraordinary. And so there really is no better time, I think, to be helping investors to find and sift through all the incredible complexity to find the best companies going forwards. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you want to find the right way to navigate this area, you look to the experts in that field. So for everyone watching, listening, just you know, keep your ear to the ground. Uh, keep coming back to Exponential Investor next week. There's some pretty hot stuff coming. Uh, not quite finished yet, but it's in the works. These, these big 
big sort of uh, these big briefings, these big big events that we that we do put together, we take very seriously and make sure that uh, they're done in the right way. So, as I say, keep an eye out. More to come on this. Watch this space. But uh, thanks again, Kit, for joining me this week. We've gone on long enough today. Um, yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for watching as usual. Keep an eye out next week for more on this and the exciting things we've got coming your way. Uh, but we will also be back with you again next Friday with the Exponential Investor Podcast, a special one, actually. Um, again, I'm not going to give too much away. Just make sure you come back to watch it because it's going to be a doozy, as I like to say. Um, but thanks again. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for watching. Bye for now.